and welcome to another edition of Football Bloody Hell. On the show tonight, a warm welcome back to Ricky Hyatt. Steve Rutter's returned to the country and he's back on. Paul Thorpe joins us. And I might just pop in my six penneth here and there. everybody and welcome to another edition of go on ad say it football bloody hell see that's how you say it yeah that's how you say it <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'll uh, i'll get there one day i'll, I'll keep going i'll yeah. keep going you Thorpe, keep you've trying. Got a good impression he's on the show today Thorpe, you give yeah. it a go yeah football bloody hell oh, not bad it's you know it's got a certain <laughs> i sound more like you than you do <laughs> well, as you can hear, we've got we've got Thorpey on, Aidy's on. Hi, Aid. Uh, mate, I'm here. Yeah, hi, hi, everybody. Good to be here. Steve Rutter, do you want to give it a go, or are you gonna you gonna ease off of that one? No, I think the listeners have suffered enough, haven't they? So we'll just get on with the show, shall we? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're quite right. You're quite right. And uh, listeners, are we pleased to know that? He's back. He's back on the podcast after a few weeks. Uh, Ricky Hyatt's here. Rick, how are you doing, sir? Uh, I'm, I'm not doing... I'm better than How are you feeling? And, uh, yeah, not, I'm not feeling too bad, thanks, guys. Uh, thanks for everybody's kind wishes and whatever. And, um, yeah, I'm here to bring the standard of the podcast down again. So uh, apologies for that. No it sweat. did amaze me that even last week, even the fact that you weren't here, you were still managing to communicate with AD and you were bringing your own comments th- via AD <laughs> through to the podcast. I thought that was very, very Rick Hyatt. Mm. Wow. Yeah, one tries. One tries. <laughs> so, one tries. Obviously, a lot to talk about, uh, but we will start off with Yeovil. Of course, we are a partner of Yeovil Town. Um, Thorpey, we were there. Uh, I'll start with you on, on Saturday. Bottom of the table, yeah. Maidstone, but uh, yeah. that didn't tell the story, did it? Maidstone played some really good football, and Yeovil was he going behind in that first half, uh, but then turned it around with uh, two quick-fire goals, one of them an outstanding goal, which we'll go on to talk about in more detail in a minute. But at the end, Thorpey, having turned it around and found the momentum, they got pegged peg back right at the end, and uh, Mark Cooper will be really disappointed, particularly with the way that that second goal went in. Well, we spoke to uh, Josh afterwards and uh, the, the, the back line were absolutely distraught. They just switched off for a second. I don't. I said in the commentary, I don't think it was a foul, but um, it just got a clip, a clip in and, and normally it's well received by Josh and the boys and uh, unfortunately not on this, this uh, time. And uh, the, the uh, colossal... Uh, left back, is it Williams? Is it was uh, was there with a powerful header and um, yeah, the left back. But you know, we we did sort of say that they they didn't look like they were playing uh, like a bottom of the table side, which they certainly didn't. But there, there's some aspects to that, and and uh, one is, is is there obviously good play, but also I think that uh, it was a little bit of poor closing down by by Yeovil. They couldn't get going right for the word go, and um, I say it took them. Um, like a half-time team talk and, and uh, should we say a good old bollocking from the manager at half-time to actually get them going. But the second half performance was was excellent. Well, I'm going to bring Steve Rutter in, um, not just because you've said about a manager that gives a bollocking. I don't know, Steve, whether you fit into that category or, or not. You'll have to uh, give us the, the lowdown on that. But you would have been in situations where you you are playing a side that you're expected to beat because they're uh, they're rock bottom as they're coming to you, uh, particularly um, when you're the home team. Does that add a little bit of 
pressure, for want of a better word, because the expectation is that little bit higher when you know that you're uh, playing a team that is rooted to the bottom of the table? I suppose it does, but it's, it's probably pressure you put on yourself. Um, because, you know, I know from my days there, if we were playing someone like Wickham, who were top, or Barnet when they were the, the top side, it's almost like a free hit. You know, if you beat them, everybody says, well, a great result. And if you lose, everybody says, well, that was expected. Uh, I think probably from Yeovil's point of view, the thing that's most disappointing is, I mean, I just had a quick look before we came on air, ironically. They've dropped eight points by conceding goals in 90 minutes plus. Yeah. They conceded in the 91st minute away at Maidstone. This is to go from winning positions to drawing. 96 minutes at Torquay. Wow. 90, um, it was 90 plus six minutes against Maidstone and 90 plus one minutes away at Alty. So there alone, there's eight points that have gone begging after the 90 minutes has ticked past. And there's a couple of late goals in other games where they've gone from, I think Woking they were drawing, conceded in the 85th minute and lost 1-0. And the other game we've got down here is um, Chesterfield. They were winning 2-1 and conceded in the 88th minute. So there's a pattern of them conceding really late in games. And the frustrating thing I would think for the manager would be whether that's a concentration thing or whether it's a fitness thing or is it just one of those strange quirks of fate at the moment You know where it's happening. But it's when you think about eight points extra and they would be sitting probably that's around playoffs the playoffs at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Rick, I'll, I'll I'll bring you in. Um, with the way it's gone, um, you, you've seen Yeovil uh, a few times this season. Yeah. Um, as Steve touches on, when you get into those winning positions and it's just that last minute lost in concentration, it it's even more frustrating. But if you look at it from on on the flip side, so obviously Yeovil got a really good victory up at Dagenham um, the week before. They then went to pick up a point with 10 men against Wildstone. A point, obviously, um, Saturday against Maidstone. So that's uh, five points from the three games. If they drew with Dagenham and... Or, yeah, drew with Dagenham, beat Wildstone and drew with Maidstone, does it give it a little bit of... Even though it's the same points tally, it gives it a little bit of a different feel depending on if the points actually came in different places? Yeah, yeah you have to... The only way to look at it, really, I think, is you've got to take, you've got to take the positives that you can from it. And you look at the game on Saturday, disappointing to be one goal down, but then to get yourselves back into a situation where you're in front and the points are there to lose, it's yeah, that's annoying. But obviously, but to get yourself to come from one down into a position where you're leading is is definitely. Definitely a positive. And um, um, by the way, um, I was at home on on Saturday. All the results were going my way, and I was listening to Three Valleys. And uh, you two boys were on fire a little bit. Got to say, on Saturday it was a really, really good listen. So um, yeah. Oh well, thank you very much. Well, thank no, you very honestly, much. On, honest, honest to goodness, it was it was uh, very enjoyable listening to that. And if only we could have just hung on, it would have made it would have made it even better. But. Mark's it's, it's game management, isn't it? Mark's got to get it into their heads to play the full 90 minutes plus and to concentrate all that way through. Otherwise, you're, you're going to chuck away um, all the good work that you have done, which is ultimately frustrating. But if Yoga can get through this season, get a buffer, get away from the relegation thing, not be involved in that at all, and then take what the lessons learned this season. Like you were saying, Dave, that those points, had they been converted... It's playoff form, and they're not a million miles away, and that is the most frustrating thing about Yeovil at the moment. It's if they were getting hammered every week, you could take it, but they're so close all the time, and it's that's what's so frustrating about it. Mm. Ad, from what you know of of Mark Cooper, obviously he came in because the team weren't doing very well. Well. Will he be getting more and more frustrated by this? Or do you think he, it's still early enough in his tenure where he'll be taking the positives or possibly a little bit of both? Helps if we switch the microphone on. Um, let's take it like this. Uh, I've sort of, you know, got to know Mark a little bit. Not, not you know, that well, but I've, I've, I've had about, I don't know, seven or eight press conferences now, I should think, with him. And he is very much a level-headed straight line he he doesn't tend to get at all um alienated by any 
potentially difficult questions. Um, he's just a, he just seems to be the same sort of mood whenever he does the press conferences. So I wouldn't know that he's getting particularly because you know he just he seems a very calm sort of guy. So from that perspective, uh, no, I don't think he does get particularly worked up. I mean. Uh, I just don't think he's the type somehow. He, he doesn't strike me. I mean, obviously, I've not been in the dressing room. I don't know how he does conduct himself there. But he did. He did pick up a yellow card during the game. It must. I must point out on Saturday. Did he? Um, obviously, yeah. we're the other side, so we didn't quite see what happened. But then I guess you can be a little bit in the different in the um, on the training pitch than what you are on a match day, possibly. Yeah, maybe. But I, I've got one little bit of. Um, well, it's it's me putting two and two together now. Whether I'm going to get four or five will remain to be seen. But is this a three valleys exclusive? You're now it, it, sharing it, it, one football it, bloody it, it might be. I don't know. But um, the club have asked that uh, from now on they want all the press conferences to be in person. I.e., we go to Hewish Park to do them, which is fine by me, apart from staggering up the stairs. Um, but I just wonder whether this is the prelude to some sort of announcement. Now, I've not, uh, I hasten to add, I've not spoken to anybody in a position of authority that would be able to tip me the wink or anything like that. I certainly haven't. I, I'm purely putting two and two together, maybe getting four. In that, you know, the, the, they want everybody there. So is this, you know, I mean, obviously they would announce that they're going to have a press conference, but nonetheless, they're sort of, I just wonder if they're just preparing the ground to making a statement. And, uh, you know, we were told back along six weeks was 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 the time sort of frame that they were looking at when uh, these latest negotiations began so just just me making a comment and just wondering you know that's that's fair enough I'll, I'll bring Steve in because I'm interested to know from your point of view Steve having managed teams does the off-field stuff play a part um in terms of how what the players and other staff members are thinking about on a day-to-day -day basis and does it affect things or is it easy to say that when things might not be going so well on the pitch i think it depends like exactly the magnitude of the problems you're talking about off the field um because in, you know if the players are not getting paid for example then that does affect them because they've got families they've got kids they've got to pay their mortgage or whatever um as best you can you try and protect the players from all the external noise and you and you try and be a come like a buffer you know either as a coach or the staff you tend to to deal with the things and try and screen the players from it but as i say if, if it's a if it's a serious issue and it's going to affect their livelihoods then it's very very hard that they don't think about it at some point in time i think the reality is and i'm sure thorpe would agree with this when, once you get to kick off and somebody blows the whistle for the 90 minutes you're on the pitch, that's when you can forget about all the off-the-field stuff. You know, when I was there, we had the bankruptcy thing. The club had gone into almost in the receivership. We were doing bucket collections. But for the 90 minutes you stepped across the white line, you just hope you've got the players in the right place. They just focus on the game and get on with it. Um, as soon as they come off, of course, if they have a shower, and then they go in the bar and their wife's there saying, how are we going to pay the electricity bill this week? Then it's hard to shelter them from it. But as far as you can, that, that's really what you just try and do. You just try and be a buffer between the two. Just bringing it back to the, the football, uh, Thorpe, I mentioned at the start that we need to talk about that Alex Fisher goal. For those oh. that haven't um, seen it or heard it on Three Valleys Radio, do you just want to um, describe it poetically, Thorpe? I'll try my very best. So <laughs> I was actually just about to say, I, I'm not... Uh, at all sure that why um, we kept bringing the ball inside and um, you know uh, and, and, and it, it, it came again but perfectly then knocked in a, a cracking uh, cross field uh, ball and um, Fisher just came onto it and, and did a fantastic um, side, side foot volley which, which Steve will tell you is not an easy um, skill you know, to keep control of. Normally they go sky high or you, you mistime it and it, it dribbles through the keeper or something. But he absolutely caught it perfectly and um, just gave the keeper no chance at all. And the, the ball flew into the top left-hand corner. And um, we we were absolutely exuberant and uh, seeing such a quality goal. Um, 
at, at sort of this level of football. And um, Rick, I'm guessing that did come through on the commentary. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I can't very remember much so. now. <laughs> very, very, very much so. You know, and, uh, but ears started bleeding at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it was just a fantastic goal to watch, and um, you know, and obviously that that is is what what started the, the comeback, and uh, you know, but but by the first thing was that, that that Fisher was brought on. We sort of said before in the first half that it's a possibility, is what was required. Mark obviously gave him a good old roasting half time, and then got him on. And then the whole dynamics of the team changed. You know, the midfield were further forward, like by a good 10, 10 yards. And, um, the, you know, that he was bringing people into play. And it, it just changed the whole dynamics and pushed uh, Maidstone on the back um, foot. And um, it was just such a shame, right at the very death, just a lack of concentration at such a crucial time allowed them to uh, get the leveller. But otherwise, it would have been a fantastic comeback. Just the last point on the oval. Oh, oh go on, Steve. Sorry, I was going to say, is my memory playing tricks on me? Or did he not score quite a sensational headed goal away at Maidstone as well? Yes, he did. Okay. He did, didn't he? Yeah. With a header from yeah, about 35 yards. Yeah. Yeah. He's, um, which was um, Mark Cooper's first game in charge. Well, I say in charge. He might have been in the, in the stands watching, but I think he had formally uh, taken over. But um, I just wanted to touch on the fact that uh, with Fisher... Um, Rick, I'll come to you. We uh-huh. we watched uh, Thorpe and I did the game on Tuesday, and Yeovil, despite playing good football, they failed to record a shot on target. And I think it took to the fifty fifth minute on Saturday to record a shot on target. It, it was clear to me that he decided to go with a false nine on Saturday because he didn't trust the strikers that what he had available, and. The performance that Fisher put in in the second half, I think that shows us that it was a player who was angry not to start because if yeah. he had started, you might not have got that performance and you might not have got that finish. Yeah, it, it, that's certainly how it, how it how it came across. I mean, Alex obviously wants to be starting every week and if he plays like that, then obviously he will. But um, Yeovil is so much better than most teams, I think, unless you've got really, really technically gifted and illegally bought players. Do you blame then, him for trying it? Uh, you've got to try something. I mean, we've we had um, centre halves playing up front oh, this yes, season. Very good point. But then it gives. Hey, it no, is that wrong with that? Nothing. Not, <laughs> yeah, not for, for, for the last ten minutes, Thorpe. Not the first quarter. <laughs> but, um, it, it does give a team a focal point, and you can play all the pretty football you want. But if you certainly at national league level. I, I, I just think that you have to have that focal point for everybody. Get players in and, in and around them, but otherwise you, you don't progress the ball. You don't tend to get into the final third as often just by playing tippy-tappy stuff all around it. So uh, hopefully Mr Fisher's got the bit between his teeth now and he's going to make himself undroppable, which would be nice. Yeah, so, unfortunately, Yeovil do have a little bit of a gap in the calendar now as they were due to play Wrexham, who got a draw in the FA Cup. And then they Good were due day. to no play... <laughs> and they were due to play Gateshead as well, I think, who also had a game uh, rearranged. So, uh, it's a two-week break now um, for Yeovil. I want to start now by going into the, the Premier League. Lots of results to pick out here. But I'm going to start with Spurs beating Manchester City because... Stories coming out of Manchester City today uh, off the field suggest that they've been, well, there's no suggestion about it. They have officially been charged by the Premier League for alleged financial breaches. Um, AD, I'll come to you. If we just start on the pitch, mm-hmm. we spoke a couple of times previously over the last couple of weeks about how Manchester City do look a little bit indifferent this season. The fact that they sold Cancelo in the January transfer window, which suggests that there was a rift with um, Guardiola. Guardiola also gave quite a damning assessment of his team and the fans when they lost to... Oh, sorry, they came back against Spurs in the reverse fixture. And now that they've been uh, charged for financial breaches, does that suggest that all is not quite well at Manchester City at the moment when you take it all into account? Yeah, I think it does. Um, you, you'd have to say that, really. I mean, he didn't he didn't start with De Bruyne either, which I thought was a, a strange move because he is he is the sort of almost the brains behind the attack, and um, 
Yeah, I mean, they, they didn't look themselves. I mean, I, I, I personally, I don't think Jack Grealish has, has come on uh, for joining them. I don't think he's personally a, a, a £100 million player, and I don't think he's playing like he is. Um, um, Mared seems to have just gone off a little bit. He was playing really well, and he just perhaps dropped a little, uh, you know, notch or two. They, they don't seem as good, and... Um, Results are showing it as well. So I, th I think, uh, you know, but it'll be interesting to see now, you know, how this this disclosure of, of the uh, breaches is going to affect, well, the whole the whole club um, in particular. I mean, you know, we talk about going over the white line, but this is a bit different, isn't it? I mean, they said on Talk Sport tonight that they thought this could be the biggest sports story ever. Now, maybe that's typical talk sport type uh, approach to the story but I mean it is a pretty it's, it's not just one or two though that's the thing that I I sort of looked at it's like I don't know it's a hundred or something it's I over mean, it's, yeah, yeah which is which is phenomenal and surely the, the football league or the premier league are, <clears throat> are left wanting how has it taken them this long to discover what's going on it's, it's left to some WikiLeaks bloke to tell you that. Well, it's a good, you know, it's a good point. It's a good point. I just wanted to bring Steve in because, gee, I don't know if you've seen um, uh, an in-depth version of the story that was released today about the alleged um, breaches that Manchester City. Obviously, they've been done for this before, haven't they, in a Champions League environment? But then that didn't actually come to anything. There's always a lot going on at the moment in Italy with Juventus, and yeah. is this a bit of a knock-on effect to that? Do you think? Um, well, I just think in it's... terms of investigations. Yeah, I think I think Andy's right. Look what's happening at Chelsea at the moment in terms of the mm. money that Ted Bowley spent, or Todd Bowley spent since he's been at Chelsea. They're obviously going to fall foul of the financial fair play regulations. I mean, it's impossible not to. They've spent six hundred eighty million pounds. Um, it's just it's ludicrous. And, and that's only the headline transfers that you know about. They're going around signing Chelsea, Man City, Liverpool, all the clubs are going around signing 17, 18-year-olds from different places, buying them, loaning them out to clubs in Belgium or Holland. The game is awash with irregularities. And the governance of the game cannot be trusted to the clubs. It's as simple as that. And so for these people that want the clubs to run a European Super League or whatever, they are in cloud cuckoo land. Mm. It needs somebody with some semblance of normality to get out of football and get it back in shape. Because at the moment, I was reading a thing from Deloitte Twice today from the because of the transfer thing, they're saying they think it will just keep going. The Premier League, the Premier League have spent £2.1 billion, the Premier League clubs, on players this season, including the two transfer windows. There's a net deficit of £1.5 billion across the Premier League, right? Spain, Germany, Italy and France, those four leagues are in net profit over the same period of time. And our league is £1.5 billion in deficit because all the money is going out to foreign countries and foreign clubs. So am I surprised? Not in the slightest. We talk about the Super League. Um, Rick, I'll come to you. Last week, we, um, I made the point that we were talking about the January transfer window and mm -hmm. AC Milan wanted to sign uh, Zanolo, Zanolo uh, the guy from Roma, and they were looking to put a financial package together, but they couldn't match the financial package that Bournemouth could put together. Like, yeah. Just think about that. That's astonishing mm. to think <laughs> that Bournemouth were regularly playing Yeovil Town a few years ago, and <laughs> the pull of the Premier League it's the super just going off topic slightly, but it sort of brings to the whole overall point that it's the Super League, not just the Premier League. Are we guilty of sort of not realising that because we're in this country and we're here to enjoy it? Well, this is I, I think this is probably why you've got Real Madrid, uh, Juventus, Barcelona, the big movers and shakers behind the Super League, because they're concerned about this exact situation happening. There's a Super League in Europe already, and it's called the Premier League. And they're outside mm. of it, which is why they're going to push so strongly for a, for the formation of a genuine 
if it, for want of a better term, a, a genuine Super League. Now, going back to the, the Manchester City thing, uh, it's was anybody surprised that this has happened? No. The surprising thing is twofold. Is, is one, I think, the fact that the Premier League, the FA or whoever's behind it, have actually had the balls to go through with this and take on Manchester City because the, the problems with the Champions League faded because Abu Dhabi have got more money than UEFA. So that's why that went away. But it is reassuring to know there's talk of City losing, being stripped of their titles if things go wrong. It's nice to know that all their Champions League titles will be safe. UEFA aren't going to strip them of them. They'll keep them forever. <laughs> um, when did they but, win the Champions League then, Rick? <laughs> do keep up, Adrian. Do keep up. <laughs> but it's it's not a level playing field. Everybody has known that this is going on. When you've got a situation where, in twenty twenty two, Manchester City was suddenly producing more income than the likes of Real Madrid, Manchester United, Liverpool, all the established clubs that have taken over a hundred years to get to this stage. And you can't tell me that all of a sudden, legally, Manchester City are more attractive a proposition to sponsors, supporters and everybody. It's, it's blatantly obvious what's going on. And I would just hope that the reason it's taken so long is the fact that the Premier League have got a cast iron case against it. And they're actually going to follow through with what they're doing. Because it's, it's, we said all along, you can't take on a state nation. It's... Have any of you guys been watching? There's a documentary on Sky um, about the, um, the transfer deadline day, and uh, they they followed around a whole load of agents. None of them, or at least I don't think any of them are English. They're all uh, Dutch, Italian, Spanish, France, um, but they all look <coughs> decidedly dodgy to me. And the way that some of the conversations were going on, and the whole the whole approach to it, it certainly didn't seem particularly kosher to me. Now, you know, I, I, I'm only just passing a comment. It's my opinion. That's the way it looked, the way it came with on this particular television programme. I don't know if any of you guys have seen it, but that was the way I came away from it. But going back to this, 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 this situation, just looking at Newcastle now, obviously they're, they're a state nation. They're not, they're not a football club anymore. But do you think that the Saudis will possibly have second thoughts about what they're doing at Manchester City because all of a sudden the uh, the genie's out the bottle. City should, hopefully, one way or another be, be punished, whether it be a point deduction, title strip, relegation or whatever. All of a sudden, what Saudi Arabia want to use Newcastle for isn't quite such an attractive and viable proposition because they're not going to be able to follow the City model. I think it's, I think it's a great point. I mean... Obviously, you've got with the Saudi ownerships, you've got the human rights elements to it, etc., that obviously come into play. Particularly, that was well publicised when they took over Newcastle. Thorpe, I'll come to you. Are we not at a point now where, though, that we, as fans, you've pretty much got to be um, sorry taking the fan element out of it for a second, just talk about the ownerships. You probably have to be a billionaire owner to own a Premier League football club now. We're getting into that um, territory. But regardless of where that money has come from, whether you're a, um, a state nation or you're, um, you've got money in oil or other revenues, it's just a billionaire's playground. And... As fans, you're, we are now starting to pick holes in how certain billionaires do things, whereas it doesn't matter what billionaire you are, you probably have done something... Like the, the term AD used was dodgy, dodgy in order to get to that point anyway, regardless <laughs> yeah. of where your money actually came from. And it's, it's just all a much of a Do you mean a, a, a business, business man, Dave? Do you mean a <laughs> yeah. business exactly. Is that what the phrase you're looking for? Sorry, I missed yeah. But how we're saying one's better than the other... When the chances are they might all possibly be, you know, similar, some might say. Well, well it's gone from not a millionaire not being uh, rich enough to own a football club to now being a billionaire, just a billionaire. Actually, is is that rich enough to actually own a football club nowadays because of what the, these clubs are now spending? Um, it has gone absolutely ludicrous. 
I, I mean, I, I, I'm, it, it, the fans won't worry where the money's coming from as long as they're spending the money to make their, their teams look attractive and stay at the top level. Um, you know, that, that's, that's for sure. Um, how these people get their money, I agree with you, is, is, is if you get into the billions, you, you, you've got to be doing something slightly dodgy. Um, we all wonder where Abramovich got his money from. Um, and uh, I expect it wasn't all co- kosher. But um, at least he did spend uh, a lot on invest in Chelsea, um, which, which brought that club on leaps and bounds. Um but I, I, I just think that um, one thing I do do want is the, the actual uh, global product of the Premier League being protected. And that's something that I think the, the authorities need to stamp down on heavily. And maybe by doing this and seeing this through, um, it, it is, is something that needs to be done. I mean, apparently it's a four-year investigation. Uh, Manchester City is uh, surprised by the issues, they said. <laughs> And they the alleged will. breaches um, of the Premier League rules, particularly given the extent of the engagement of vast amounts of detailed materials that the, e, uh, the EPL have been provided with, um, the club apparently said in a statement. So um, it will be interesting to see how it now develops and, and will, it, will it also hold back the other clubs by spending so much money like Steve has, 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 point, has rightly pointed out. I mean, how can uh, Chelsea uh, cover those expenses and say that they're all legitimate? So um, it, it, it's um, it'll be interesting to see how it develops. But yeah, you know, are they now going to look into Chelsea and are they going to look into the way Man United and, and everybody else does do their affairs? And that, and it's quite funny that now the power of Bournemouth have got so much money that they can outspend some huge Italian and, and, and French and other clubs around the world. Do you know one thing that struck me too with this transfer, it, it's, it's relevant, not entirely, but you know, towards the end of the transfer window, there were players being brought in last week or whenever it was, what was it Friday, Saturday? Saturday, I think, wasn't it? Mm. Um, there were some players that were being brought in that, that frankly I'd never heard of. And we were talking mm-hmm. about multi-million, so sort of over 10, 10 million for several players, again that I've never heard of and you just wonder do these clubs I'm not talking Man City Man United Liverpool type because they've got such a good setup and a big setup that they they do it properly I think well properly in inverted commas um but but people like Brighton or um Bournemouth or who else have we got a small club that's down the bottom Leeds United maybe I mean do they go <laughs> wow <laughs> so you can't say things like that I just did um, no but the thing is you know are, are they going out and doing their homework on these players or are they just saying oh well he's worth six million I oh, will have him and he's, he looks all right he's he's six foot eight as one striker that somebody's bought with Leicester bought him I think uh, you know uh, Southampton that's the one yeah you know and you think well are they are they doing their due diligence on the actual players because I you know I begin to wonder the other, the other thing as well I think is quite horrific is now the expenditure of what these... It's not just agents now, they're being called super agents. So that's yeah. probably what that documentary is about. Yeah. You know, where, how how do you actually, just through doing discussions, uh, warrant that type of expenditure to the agents? And I think that's something else that the the authorities and government should really be looking into is, is that why are we paying so much money you know, to agents to just give them fat wallets, and uh, I don't, I don't, I just don't agree with it. I mean, I'd much rather see some of that money going to ground roots football, um, that, so that we could develop the game in this country. I mean, I just don't understand why. Um, what do they do to warrant that type of expenditure and and the, the, the tens of millions that they actually get? I mean, Liverpool three three or four years ago. Spent something like seventy to seventy-five million to agents, and I just think that that's money that is just going out. It's to me, it's going out of football because we're just lining their pockets. Well, I'll tell you what, we can do on that one, Thorpe. Aaron Davis, who's been on the show uh, two or three mm. times during the World Cup, he is an agent. I think I'm right in saying. Um, 
I don't know if there's sort of degrees of how you know what level of agents you are, but Aaron is certainly, if he's not a full blown out agent, he's he's getting close to it. I'll see if we can get him to come on and answer some of those questions that you've put. Yeah, because uh, listen, I've got nothing about agents. If they got have agents, absolutely fine. But it's the expenditure that goes to these agents yeah. for yeah. these massive deals, and I don't. And that's it's actually taking money out of football, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Because all we're doing is really lining their pockets and making them extremely rich. And and the football is getting absolutely dearly split from it. Yeah. No, you're right. Well, let's bring it back to the football then, because we could talk for hours on this subject. Um, and maybe we will with Aaron Davis, as uh, AD points out. He's promised that to the listeners now, so we'll trust him to get that, that deal over the line. Um, Rick, I'll come to you, because I know that he's a personal favourite of yours. Harry cool. Kane got the winning goal, and yeah. um, and now he's the all-time <coughs> leading Tottenham goal scorer, um, the quickest to two hundred as well. Um, yeah, as some going, I'll just leave it there to you to give us your thoughts. Steve, what seems that the last time this happened, we're talking about Harry Kane. You threw me under the bus. I just just make this comparison, then, okay? Harry Kane's career, he's just got past two hundred. And uh, with no titles, no trophies, no nothing. A lot of personal accolades and nothing. Mm -hmm. You look at Andy Cole, 187 Premier League goals, no penalties, all proper goals. Five Premier League titles, one championship title, two FA Cups, two football leagues, one Champions League. Whose career would you rather have? Yeah, I have to concede it would be, it would be Andy Cole's. I think once you... It's that old saying, isn't it? When you uh, He's frozen. have your grandson and you... Who's frozen? Have I frozen? No, you're not. Well, you're not. You're right with me, I think. No, I think Thorpey's frozen and and has called me out for freezing. Sorry. No, no. Um, <laughs> did everyone else hear that as well? Anyway, yeah. um, it's um, when you have your grandson on your knee and you tell him about your uh, your career. You talk about the trophies and you say, "This is what I've won. That's what I did." Um, I just wonder though, with um, with Harry Kane, Rick, now yeah. he's got to two hundred. I know he's been linked with possibilities of going abroad, particularly Bayern Munich. Mm -hmm. Do you think that he would now, at this stage in his career, possibly swap that in order to get the Premier League record? Now that he's in sight, do you think that well, comes into play? It does now because his his whole career is based around individual awards rather than rather than proper trophies, so I wouldn't be surprised. But then, if I was him, difficult. I'm not him, obviously. But um, the possibility of, A, playing for Bayern Munich, and B, winning some trophies and being competitive and that, while he's still at an age where he is world-class, yes, he is world-class, but I'd go if I was him. But then he's got Shearer's uh, target in his sights, hasn't he? So he'll ultimately, ultimately be going for... Uh, for that, I would have thought. I'd be very surprised if he moves. Let's um, let's talk elsewhere then, because uh, Everton, big Sean Dyche. We spoke about whether he was going to be the right man for Everton. He comes in, Steve, and uh, he does one over Arsenal. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not a surprise, is it? Because he's got a great record against Arsenal. And the Arsenal two Burnley boys as well combining. Yeah, and they've got a dreadful record at... Goodison Park against Everton as well. So when you added the two things together, it was almost an inevitability, wasn't it, that um, the wheels had come off for Arsenal up there. Um, but he will be a great appointment. Whether or not they stay up this year is debatable, but he's shown with Burnley that he's got the ability to bring lesser sides up out of the Championship and he will be a magnificent yeah. appointment. And I'm really, really pleased for him because he's such a genuine fella and he's, a ve he's clearly a very, very good manager. Um and now he's got a little bit of something to work with. We'll probably see what he can really do. Also, the fact, Steve, as, as well, is that it'll be the first time you'll actually have a decent budget to work with as well, isn't it? So, uh, yeah, so say, now, he's, now he's actually got some quality and he's got some spending power. Mm. And, but he won't go crazy. You know, he, he will adjust the way his teams play, but they'll still be true to their core elements. And Everton is historically really honest, hard-working, isn't it? Yeah. Even yeah. Howard Kendall, they just had really solid. Pat Vanden Howe, people like that. Graham yeah. Sharp, solid players yeah. with a little bit of quality. 
So he'll go for characters first, and then a little bit of football quality second. But yeah, absolutely, they will, a, they will they will be in a much better place now as a result of Sean Dice being in charge. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And in terms definitely. of the um, on the flip side, at from Arsenal's point of view, AD the title race, um, we've both sort of uh, well, we've all given our opinions on who we think is going to be um, lifting the trophy come May, and have we? sort of seen this weekend that there is a little bit of potential inconsistency in everybody. <laughs> well, I, I think more than a little bit. I mean, um, you know, this whole Manchester City business is going to throw the whole thing wide open, potentially. I think the only thing that w would save that happening is is if the authorities that are going to investigate this are going to take a year or two years to come up with an answer. Because I think it's such a it's such a huge issue that I don't think they can afford. Football doesn't need it this to be dragging on for a couple of years. You know, they need to get it bloody sorted and get it sorted quickly so that the, the, the stain or the potential stain to football can be removed. So, um, you know, I, I think just putting that aside, I mean, we're, we're three points behind City. City are, uh, what are they, five points behind... Uh, Arsenal, I think I'm right in saying. Yeah, and Arsenal have got a game in hand. Yeah, but they've got to play yeah. City twice. Now, all yeah, right. that might be the game in hand, actually. What, twice, though? Well, no, but I'd say they've got a game in hand, but they haven't really got a game in hand on City. Oh, no, they, they would have to, wouldn't they? Otherwise, they'd both have the same playing number. City, yeah. Yeah. I'm doing bad maths. Carry yeah, good on. Maths. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's <laughs> going to be Leeds, Leeds, Liverpool or Brighton is the game in hand. Oh, I thought well, you were going to say it's Leeds, Liverpool, or Brighton to win the league. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I mean, I, you know, I, I think that uh, you know it, it is getting much, much tighter. All right, forget about the city thing if you want. But even even with that, I mean, you know, United hung on to get three points against Palace, which they made hard work of it, but they did it in the end. So they're still in there, hanging in. Newcastle then go and drop two points to West Ham. Um, city get beat. Arsenal get beat. It's it's getting you know it's getting exciting now I think. Is there an weekend. opportunity for? Yeah, is there an opportunity for United to get in there? Because we spoke before the Arsenal game about whether or not they were in the title race or could potentially be in the title race. Arsenal won a, won the game, albeit it was a really good game of football. Then it was kind of I think it was the drop drop points at Crystal Palace, wasn't it? Hmm. Um, and then it's like the talk goes away again. But now is it starting to come back again? Well, I think it is, but I'm biased, as you well know. So I, you know, I can't necessarily make an objective opinion on that. I think they're gonna they're gonna go all the way and do something. But you know, it's 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 getting closer. Let's put it that way. Dorpy, it was certainly a good weekend for Manchester United. Mm. Get them, you know, sort of draw them a little bit closer. I mean, that that game in hand is going to be massive. Um, in a, you know, because uh, that could take them again to eight points clear. And if they, if they win it, but it's all about, like you say, it's or ifs and buts, isn't it? If they mm. win it, um, I certainly think that um, it's it's made it that little bit more interesting. And uh, where would you rather be, Thorpe? Where would you rather be, at Mikel Arteta or Eric oh, Ten Hag? No, I'd much rather be flipping up the top. Absolutely. Every, yeah, they've got everything absolutely. to them. Everything's in their own hands. Yeah, that's it's a, it's a massive. It's, it's a three three. Well, actually, like with Man United, it's actually. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a four three game swing, isn't it? A good big yeah. three three game swing. So um, I think you know, the crucial rather, thing is the like fact that, that every player and every manager will always tell you that the points are better. You want the points. But I think that the, the crucial thing is nothing. that they've got to play City twice. And, and, mm. yeah, but you the, know. as we've seen though, Aid, as you see, like maybe Man United have got to play Tottenham. Maybe Man United have got to go and play away at Brighton. Mm. Well, actually, you ain't getting any gimmies anymore. You know, sides oh, no, 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 have come on no. massively. Fulham are a difficult game, particularly mm. away. So people look at the, the, the big four, whatever, playing against each other. But the reality is it's the sides like Brighton and Fulham and results in places like that, which will yeah. probably ultimately decide who wins the title and who doesn't. Yeah, and, and nobody nobody wants to go to Everton anymore. Because no. they know what Dodge can do. So yeah. it, it, that, that, you know, that... that if you've got your two Everton games out of the way before yeah. before he turned up, then you're going to be well happy with that. So before we move on from um, Manchester United, um, the Casemiro red card, what did we think? I, I personally think it's one of those where 
if you watch it as a steal, he's always going to get sent off because they've obviously showed him as that. But as Ten Hag said, I sort of agreed with him. Well, on that basis, you could probably send them all off. Rick, you're shaking your head. Have you got the similar view? I hope that that's the last time we ever see Andre Mariner referee a Premier League again. That was that was the peak of an awful afternoon he had at Old Trafford. There's there's there a shot. What? Why show one still? That is a still. It's not a moving picture. It's a still that shows Casemiro's actions in the worst light, which he didn't help himself by having bloody great boxing gloves on as well. But you, the, if you roll that through, what he's actually trying to do is stop Hughes from getting involved in the fracas. So he's actually doing Hughes a favour. If you look at it from behind, you can see that he's got hold of his collar, not his neck. But Andre Mariner wasn't shown that. That'll be he three was, games as well, will it? Yeah. 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 Two, two against Leeds and one against Leicester. Unless United appeal it and the FA decide that it's a frivolous appeal in which they can extend it and he'll also miss the Carabao Cup final. So I think United's it, it depends an awful lot on how personally I, I totally agree with agree with Ten Hag. What how can you isolate Jordan Ayew, his behaviour right in the midst of that was the worst of anybody. And yet he's got away with that scot free. Now if they're gonna take retrospective action, United then had to hang on for the last twenty minutes. So they've already been punished through that. You cannot I I Personally, obviously, I've got allegiances United's way. But just looking at it as an incident, I, I would hope that that was rescinded and and or the or the ban lessened or something because it's a massive overreaction. It was footballers having a pushing match. I did find it funny the um, the linesman that was just stood in the middle yeah. of it all kicking off. Next to it. <laughs> what, what did you think, Steve? You you've got a sort of more. Uh, balanced view of it, I suspect. Well, I didn't actually see the incident. I've seen the stills of it, like you say, and I didn't actually see the incident live. And, and my view would be very similar to Rick's, to be honest. Unless there is somebody whose behaviour is so excessive in comparison to the other people, how do you possibly single one person out and pull them to one side? Because apparently the first tackle was a really reckless tackle. Yeah. Schlup, wasn't it, Jeffrey Schlup? Um, yeah. Ayu was, you know, there was all sorts going on. Wan Bissaka was involved. So unless somebody, you know, somebody's run across and headbutted somebody or has absolutely chinned somebody, pushing and shoving, like handbags at 10 paces, we used to call it. Mm. Uh, Sending people off for stuff like that nowadays, it's it's pathetic. Is the wording in the rules also an issue, Steve, as well? Because I know that, um, I think they put it on Match of the Day, it might not have been this weekend, that you can't touch the face. Well... No. That means that you could just, you know, I could just touch your nose and get sent off, technically. Yeah, basically, well, the, the rules were if you push somebody from the chest downwards, it's a booking. If it's in the face, it's a sending off. But then it's what constitutes a push or a punch or a strike. Well, he you didn't know, strike, did he? he if handbags at 10 paces, or there's a loads of pushing <laughs> going on. You, the referee, if you've got any common sense, you just stand there for a couple of seconds. Like when I was a policeman, I was always told, if there's a fight, wait for it to finish before you go or somebody's likely to chin you. So you just stand and wait for them to stop shoving each other, and then you just walk across, say, you and you, come here, stop behaving like idiots, else you're off. And at the very best, just book one of them and say, right, calm down. But, I mean, there is this massive thing, though, about the way they're perceived and on the television and the, the image of the game being destroyed by this sort of behaviour. Actually, I just think fans like to see a bit of passion. Fans like to see yeah. players protecting their teammates. You know, as long as it doesn't yeah. become an absolute free-for-all. Um, so, yeah, from what I've heard, and from the little bits I've seen, it seems like a massive overreaction. But it's going to be a huge loss because they've already lost Ericsson. Now they lose Casemiro for three games. So, you know, they're hoping that Sabitzer's going to come in and hit the ground running and play really well. But suddenly they're going to find themselves really light. <coughs> well, talking of, talking, of a loss, talking of a loss, um, I was coming into this podcast today wanting to talk about Leeds United because they've only had two wins since August, I think. And now I'm coming into this podcast saying not only have they had two wins since August, but Jesse March has now been given the chop. Um, AD, is that's, this just a surprise? Before you go to Aid, can I just say that's ruined my gag? Because if Jesse March was still in place, he was becoming known as Yank Lampard. <laughs> and now they've spoiled that. 
on. So, what was the question, uh, David? Was it um, was it the fact David, that we haven't discussed? Uh, was it the fact that we haven't discussed the demise of Liverpool? Uh, it's next. It's oh, next. It's, it's so next because that was breaking news today. Oh, okay. Well, we've, um, got, we've got ten minutes yet. Then that's all right. So, yeah, so going back to your original question, uh, what was your was original question? What? Was it a surprise? What? <laughs> what? Liverpool <laughs> losing? Sacked. No, it wasn't a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> um, Leeds United. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, uh, you know, I'm sorry. I, how many American managers have ever succeeded in football? Over here, well, the answer is I can't think of any that have any done any good at all. There was that bloke who was who was he? I can't think of his name now. I knew where he was even? Bob Bradley. Yeah, that's the Bob one. Bob Bradley. Yeah, I mean he was rubbish. Um, Jesse Marsh hasn't exactly done much, has he? Seems like a nice bloke, but he's got he's got this bloke um, that we had at Old Trafford. What was his name, Rick? The, the, the American guy they called Ted something or other. Lasso, Ted Lasso. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. They started yeah. to call him Ted Lasso, didn't yeah. they? Yeah. Well, he's he's gone to help him at. Uh, so he's obviously taken. You know, <coughs> uh, no, nah, I mean, it's not a surprise to me at all. And and you know, if if uh, if our sponsors, Mister Wakeley, if you do happen to be listening, which I'm sure you will be, because you want to make sure your adverts being played. But um, if you are listening, um, it's getting a bit serious, mate, isn't it? You know, I can see uh, <laughs> the relegation trap door beginning to open. But anyway, I'm sure I should get well, the, some sort of reference right. So the, 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 the new the news also <laughs> is that all the coaches have actually gone. Uh, Renny Marek, Cameron Toshak, and Pierre Baru have also been sacked. They've just had a complete clear out as well. So no, um, they've left the assistant coach Chris Armas, the other American, is in charge. The other three have the all moment. gone. Oh, yeah, well, you mean Ted Lasso's in charge then? Chris Armas is in charge. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, there you go. I mean, they've got lads in the academy. Lads, like, I think Michael Jackson's still in the academy. He's ex-Leeds lad. That there's loads of you know. Mm. Listen, it's it's a global game, isn't it? Our what, ten ten of our Premier League clubs have got American owners, at least part owners. It's a global game. It's going to happen. So whoever comes in next has got a handful because they are right in the relegation dogfight. Who do you so think will go on? Go on, Torfie. Go on. Who do you reckon will be uh, the next Leeds manager? Well, this is a short list. Oh, go on. Uh, Rick's favourite, Tommy Tickle. Oh. Pochettino, Hassan Huttle, Stephen Gerrard, Bielsa going back, Benitez, Nuno Espirito Santo, um, Foster Coglu from Celtic, Ketil Big Nutsen, Sam on but... there. Sorry? It's Big Sam on there. No, Big <laughs> Sam on there. Kettle Nutsen from Bodo Glimp. Well, what about and the bloke Carlos, at West Bromwich Albion? Carlos Corbran from West Brom. Mm. Who the last big club he was given was Olympiacos and he lasted 10 games and got sacked because <laughs> they would never had such a bad start to the season. Oh. But he did quite well at Huddersfield, didn't he? Took them to the playoffs, to the final of the playoffs, got beat by five. Should, I think he should stay exactly where he is. Yeah. 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 That's right. So, but it's a big job, isn't it? It's a big club and it's a big job. It is a big club. It's a really big club. You know, but you know, financially, not not they're not they've got a huge you know a huge budget. Obviously, for obvious reasons, they've had problems in the past. But um, that is a massive, massive club, and uh, you and know, they, certainly... they just broke their club transfer record, though, didn't they? Just signed a boy called Rutter, a, a, a French boy from Hoffenheim or somewhere for thirty-six yeah. million pound or something. I believe you know, so. Although they don't, they don't pronounce it. it Rutter, do they? Oh, no, but nobody's ever heard of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a track record. I was going to yeah. say, are they going to bring in a rutter as a manager as well, or, or no? Look, tell you what, mate, I'll bring my six months up there and then get the sack. <laughs> but I, I see we seem to be drifting away from what we should be discussing, really, because there's only uh, six minutes to go now, and we really want to have a, a bit of a session on Mr Klopp, don't we? Well, I assume it's only fair that Thorpe and I get our own podcast on Three Valleys Radio since I had to sit in one with Aidy and Rick at the start of the season when United were doing so poorly. I think it's time we need to get at what's going wrong with Liverpool podcast up and running for 60 minutes of that, don't we? Well, I'm up for it. Days. I'd love it to run a slaggy <laughs> one for a whole hour. That would be great. I think the analysis of the game really set... Said everything really for me. In the way that they are, they are not pressing, not closing down, allowing teams to have plenty of space, 
I think anybody could play against them at the moment because they're not just doing the fundamentals. And uh, Klopp afterward actually said and he, he stood there in amazement uh, and he doesn't understand why they're not doing the fundamental things they've been doing for a long period of time. You know, is, is there um, a problem behind the scenes? We don't know. But fundamentally, these players that were doing it are not doing it now on the pitch. So the actual players, I think, are the ones who should be under question and not the manager. But obviously, it's the manager that will always get the grief because he's the one that might lose the dressing or something like that. But uh, I certainly think the players at the moment are need a good kick at the backside and pull their finger out and start working that a little bit harder. Steve, you're, you're an ex-player... Um, so I want you to think back. I know it was a while ago now, but were you ever in a similar situation <laughs> to this? What, playing for Liverpool and getting beat? No, never no. <laughs> no playing for a team that is expected to win but getting beat. No, no. I spent my time playing for Wellingborough, Wealdstone and Yeovil. We no. were never expected to win. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Trowbridge. Got that. No, listen, I'm just, look, I'm just looking at their team lineup. yeah? So you've got Alexander-Arnold, Matip, Gomez and Robertson. Cater, Bayestich, Thiago, Salah, Nunes and Cody Gakpo. So there's been a massive change in what would be the starting eleven from when they were success, you know, when they were doing well and pressing high up the pitch and you've got Mane, Firmino, you've got Van Dijk at the back, Henderson in midfield giving them some shape. They're just going through an evolution and, and it hasn't been managed very well. And probably City are going to go through something similar. Mm, but yeah. they're struggling. They're struggling for an identity at the moment. They don't know whether it's stick or bust and they're getting caught between two stalls. So they're not a possession-based side, they're not a counter-attacking side, they're not a high press, they're not a deep side. They don't really know what they are at the moment, and they've got to find some identity again. We've spoken about shelf lives, particularly with um, certain players and, and managers as well. Rick, could you get to a point where, as good as Klopp's done at a club, that if you've got to go for a whole rebuild and a whole recycle again, then you have to say... I'm not saying that I want Klopp to leave. I've still got a big cardboard cutout of him somewhere in here. That if you do a whole rebuild and a recycle again, it's going to take another five, six years to get it going again, that you say, OK, you did a great cycle for us, but now we need to have a similar impact with somebody else again to get us going for the new era? Exactly that. Football is cyclical. We all know that. There's only been one manager in the English game the greatest manager that has ever been in the English game, who's managed to do it through more than one cycle. And, that, and that's Fergie. He had his, his three, he rebuilt it. And if you look at when he decided to tuck it in, it was at the point when United needed another rebuild. That's just a case of whether, whether Popo's got the appetite to do it again at Liverpool. Put it away, it David. Put it away. Oh, God. Hey, He's doing well if he's ended up in my office. Listeners, <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Mr. Pryor is sat there cuddling with a cardboard cutout of Jurgen Klopp. I wish you could see it. Oh, we've had we've had we've had some serious talks these last couple of weeks. Let me yeah. tell you. Very <laughs> and, he's, and he's still smiling after some of those talks. Got the appetite for it. Let's talk of. This is very similar to how things ended up for him at Dortmund, where all the wheels fell off and everything. I, I so, do find it weird, though, that people say, oh, it's Klopp, it's a seven-year thing. Yeah. I'm sorry, nobody has a seven-year thing. It's quite it's a specific just... thing. It's a coincidence. <laughs> it's, it's, a coincidence. It's, it's actually known as a seven-year itch, believe it or yeah. not, and they do, because when I was in the police force, people used to say, a seven-year itch, you like a couple of years getting used to it, three or four years developing to your maximum, and then a couple of yeah. years with just sort couple of on of the peak, and then yeah. you've either got to rebuild again or, or you yeah. start to dip. So, yeah, they call it the seven-year itch, and, and the reality is he has got a big job on his hands to get back because his midfield is woeful at the moment. Quick question, yeah. and if he did get the sack, who do you think would get the job? <sighs> Jesse March. Yank Lampard, he'll be in there. Yeah. Just so we could finish on that joke, was it? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's out from a seven-year itch to a, a two-minute itch uh, because we've just been told that we need to uh, wrap this podcast up good and proper. Thorpey, thank you very much indeed, sir. Absolute pleasure as normal. Steve, thank you very much for coming on, mate. Thanks. Good to be back. Nice to see you back, Rick. Cheers. Thank you, mate. Yeah, Rick, great to see you. 
It is good to see you. <laughs> I promise <laughs> it is. Yeah, um, I, I'm, I'm sorry about that. But yes, I'm back. And th thanks again. Thanks for having me back. It's a delight to be back and talking absolute nonsense with you chaps again. Yes. <laughs> Enjoyed it very pleasure, much. mate. And AD, over, you, over to you to sign us out good and proper. Well, I hope you've all enjoyed football. Bloody hell. And um, certainly slagging Yeovil, um, not Yeovil, Yeovil, Liverpool off, I should say. I, I really, <laughs> Clip that up. Yeah, I did cut that one well, But anyway, I'll have to cut that one out, I think. Um, but no, anyway, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for joining us. Please join us again next week. Same time, same station. And any rumours about an uh, opposition podcast with Mr. Mr. Thorpe and Mr. Pryor are purely that, rumours. <laughs> Good night. <laughs>